Welcome to Exaltation. This is Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true. Our scripture today is 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 22. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. More than 1900 years ago, as the light of the morning was breaking around the walls of Jerusalem, a guard was placed around a grave. Strange things had happened in the sky and on the earth the Friday before when a man considered a criminal was crucified on a cross. There was a rumor among the people that the criminal said he would rise the third morning. The third morning was breaking, and two women came to the grave bringing spices with which to anoint the body. They loved the man who had died because of his goodness and purity. It seemed that they were the only ones left who loved him except the small band of his disciples. Three days before, there had been curses upon the man as he hung dying. Curses from the crowd, curses from the soldiers, curses from the rulers. Away with him, they cried. Crucify him. Let his blood be upon us and upon our children. Today, on the first Sunday following the full moon of the spring equinox, Millions around the world celebrate their belief that this crucified criminal was raised from the dead. The eyes of both powerful rulers and the poor and weak are turned toward his empty tomb. In the Americas, Europe, Africa, Asia, and the Middle East, people are crying with joy, Christ is risen! Christ is risen indeed! Are these millions of Christ followers deceived by a lie? Or are they building upon an irrefutable fact? I want us to fix our minds very clearly upon the truth of 1 Corinthians 15.20. But now, as Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. God has so constituted our minds that they may embrace facts and stand confidently on the firm ground of facts. John Adams, the second president of the United States, said, Facts are stubborn things, and whatever may be our wishes, inclinations, or the dictates of our passion, they cannot alter the state of facts and evidence. Lies and deceptions do not a good foundation of life make. 
Therefore, we want to consider the certainty of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the consequences which flow from that certainty. We have first the fact of Christ's death. If there were no death, there certainly could be no resurrection. But God allowed the death of Jesus Christ to be a public legal process. The highest powers of both the Jewish and the Roman government united together to condemn Jesus to death. Not only did God allow a major political and religious collaboration, but the time of the crucifixion was wisely arranged. It was at the feast of the Passover, the high holy day of the Jewish people, when millions flocked to Jerusalem from all around the world to celebrate the Passover. Great multitudes of people from all over the world were there to witness the scene of the crucifixion. Then there was the form of his death, an excruciating torture drawn out over six hours. Had the execution been sudden, it would not have been witnessed by so many. But the Lord Jesus hung from nine o'clock until three o'clock, six long hours of horrible agony, with thousands of people given opportunity to witness his death. Then there are the circumstances surrounding his death. Matthew 27:45 says, And behold, from the sixth hour darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook, and the rocks were split, and the tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. And the centurion and those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Note carefully four signs. Darkness over the whole land, a violent earthquake that split rocks, the tearing of the veil of the temple into two, Think for a moment on this. The ninth hour is three o'clock in the afternoon, the time of the great sacrifice on the eve of Passover. The outer court of the temple was filled with people. The doors and gates which led into the sanctuary were crowded. The lamb was before the altar. The priest lifts up the sacrificial knife. The blood was to be shed at the precise hour of three. Within hangs a veil hiding the inner sanctuary with the cherubim spreading their wings over the mercy seat. God's presence, his glory is there. No one goes into that holy place except the high priest with the blood and incense once a year on Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. But on the eve of Passover, Every devout Jew is thinking of the mercy seat within the veil, the hope of forgiveness of sins. The hour of three o'clock comes. The priest is about to slay the lamb when suddenly an unseen hand takes hold of the veil and tears it apart from top to bottom. The mercy seat is thrown open, never before seen by men. The priest drops the knife, 
the Lamb runs free, for the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world has just died for all mankind. The way to the Holy of Holies is opened, a new and living way whereby all those who sincerely repent and believe may find the mercy and forgiveness of God. Think of the amazing providence of God. Think of Him superintending all these events so that at the moment of sacrifice, the eternal Lamb bearing the sins of the world on His shoulders cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then he cries out, It is finished, and dies. Oh, the wonder of the splendor of the glory of the beauty of the mystery of this sacrifice. We are left speechless in silent awe and worship. Then there is the opening of the tomb, so that those who were dead came out of the grave and appeared to many in the city. We don't know much about these resurrected believers except that God raised them out of the grave on resurrection morning after Christ was raised in order to appear to people in Jerusalem to testify to the reality of the resurrection. How thrilled people must have been when they saw resurrected spirits walking towards them and recognized friends that they had once known. Then there is the testimony of the centurion at the cross. Truly, this was the Son of God. It was customary for the soldiers to break the legs of the crucified victims to bring about a quick death. No longer able to push themselves up to grasp a breath of air, the victims quickly suffocated. The Passover was coming and the soldiers wanted to get this gruesome business over with and go home. The centurion saw the darkness, the earthquake, the breaking of the rocks in two, and heard the cries of the Lord Jesus from the cross. He cried out, Truly, this was the Son of God. Jewish tradition tells us that the centurion's name was Longinus, and that he became a devoted follower of the Lord Jesus, preached the faith, and died a martyr's death. There is one other piece of evidence for the fact of Christ's death that is often overlooked. John 19.34 says, But a soldier pierced his side with a spear, and immediately there came out blood and water. Had Jesus been alive when the spear pierced his side, strong spouts of blood would have pumped out of his body with every heartbeat. But when a person dies of a broken heart, it is because of pericardial effusion, meaning that water has built up around the heart, putting undue pressure on the organ. Therefore, when the spear of the soldier pierced upward into the thoracic cavity, it released both blood and water to flow out of the wound. This is very, very strong medical proof of the fact of the death of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Let's observe a few more lines of proof for the fact of the resurrection. The way to prove a fact is by evidence from witnesses. If two or three witnesses testify to the same fact, then their testimony is true. Therefore, the epistle of 1 Corinthians itself, 
written 27 years after the date of the crucifixion of Christ, shows us that the early church universally believed the fact of the resurrection. This is not a story which gradually grew up and was accepted by the people. It is contemporaneous testimony to the fact of Christ's resurrection. Then there are all the post-resurrection appearances of many different people at different times and places. There was Mary Magdalene, the Apostle Peter, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, the apostles in the upper room, the Apostle James, and over 500 other people. It is impossible, dear friends, that these eyewitnesses could have manufactured a tale about the resurrection and then preached it everywhere among those who might have easily refuted it simply by producing the body of Jesus. If Christ is not risen, then all these testimonies are false and they have perjured themselves for a lie. Incidentally, the modern objection to the post-resurrection appearances that they are hallucinations is simply preposterous. No credible, reasonable person holds to this view put forth in the 19th century. Hallucinations that over 500 people at one time shared? Hallucinations that included eating, drinking, conversing, and embracing? That is impossible, and anyone believing this worn-out argument is simply prejudiced against the facts ahead of time. They don't want to believe. We know that the Lord Jesus Christ died on a cross. His body was taken down from the cross and laid in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. All the angels of heaven watched in wonder as the Son of God was held prisoner by the power of death. The angels gathered around the grave, saw the Roman guard and the seal. If there were ever a time of holy silence in heaven, it must have been just before the morning light on Resurrection Sunday. You can almost hear the angels thinking, how long shall man triumph? How long shall the evil powers exalt themselves? Let us roll away the stone. Let us frighten the guard and drive them from the grave. Release God from the bonds of death. But they waited until permission from the Father was granted. Then the angel of the Lord, probably Gabriel, who brought news of the virgin birth to Mary, came down from the glory of heaven. The soldier saw him and became like dead men. He rolled away the stone and sat by the opening of the grave. The Lord Jesus, in all the power of the Godhead, rises from the grave. He conquers Satan. He breaks the power of death. Hell was preparing for a diabolical victory, but the Lord Jesus Christ strides over death and is proved to be the Son of God with power, the power of his resurrection from the dead. We need to see this, beloved. We need to feel it and rejoice in the marvelous reality of this truth.
You are listening to Exaltation. I'm Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true, heralding the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we may experience life in Him. Let's continue our lesson. Now, what are the consequences of confidently resting and rejoicing upon the fact of the resurrection? In the first place, the reality of the resurrection fulfills Old Testament prophecy concerning the coming Messiah. The Old Testament predicted that the Messiah would not be held in the grave, and the fulfillment of this prophecy proves the truth of the Old Testament scriptures. Because Jesus Christ rose bodily from the dead, and is alive today, we have a full and complete gospel. The miraculous birth of Christ, his life, his teachings, his miracles, his healings, his death, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, his second coming again, this is all one seamless whole, a complete, full, and truthful gospel. The resurrection of Jesus Christ also proves the divine power of divinity. No man ever raised himself from the dead by his own power. But the Lord Jesus is the one glorious exception to this rule. He raised himself out of the grave. We need to remember that the death of Jesus was a -a one-of-a-kind death, and his resurrection was also a -a one-of-a-kind resurrection. This makes all the difference for those who believe upon him. In John 10:18, Jesus says, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. God the Father gave Jesus the Son the authority to take up his life again from the grave where his body was dead because of sin. Because of resurrection, Jesus Christ becomes the first fruits of those that sleep. Because Jesus lives, God removes from Satan the right to dominate humanity. Death is swallowed up in victory, and Christ becomes the head of the church, which is the new humanity where no sin or satanic power can ever separate man from God. The victory of the resurrection is the shattering of the sting of death. Why are people all around the world so afraid of an invisible virus? Christians are not afraid of death. Death is only the entranceway into real life. St. Maximus, the early church father and godly pastor, says, He who penetrates beyond the cross and the tomb finds himself initiated into the mystery of the resurrection learns the end for which God has created all things. Now, dear friends, what is that end? That God will be all in all, that he will receive all glory, honor, majesty, and power, and that we will be united with him forever. In the resurrection of Christ from the dead is the promise and path of our own resurrection from the dead. Through union with the Lord Jesus Christ, each of us may possess his immortal risen life in which death is destroyed. Death, 
the conqueror is utterly conquered and set aside. The deadly sting of death is gone. Therefore, the eternal kind of life that is in Jesus Christ begins today. Here, now, we participate in Christ's life and he lives his resurrection life in us. Because he rose, we will also rise out of the grave to be with him. Think of it this way, dear friends, because Christ, the firstfruits, conquered death and the grave and went up to everlasting glory, so there will come out of the grave the believing dead in Asia, Africa, Europe, the Americas, the Middle East, people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation who will rise and shout, Alleluia, and be united with God forever. Listen to Paul's words in 1 Corinthians. Behold, I am telling you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. But... When this perishable puts on the imperishable and this mortal puts on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. A day is coming when living believers will witness the resurrection of dead believers and the risen dead will witness the transformation of the living. Then both the risen dead and those who are alive and transformed will live together with Christ for all eternity. Christ will redeem his church and bring her safely home to glory. <clears throat> Therefore, how are we to live in the light of this stupendous fact? We must bow the knee to Jesus now in anticipation of the great resurrection day. We must allow his life to become our life through daily humble repentance and trust in him. We must respect our bodies as the temple of the Holy Spirit. We must not defile our bodies with sin, but put away vice and clothe ourselves in Christ's virtue. In baptism, our bodies were washed with pure water to teach us that we must be free from defilement. Bodies that are destined to dwell in heaven forever must not be contaminated by pollution and sin while on the earth. Those who wait in hope for the resurrection, pray without ceasing, rejoice evermore, and give thanks for all things. Those who confidently rest in the reality of the resurrection get as far away from the world as we can and as close to our dear Lord Jesus Christ as we can. Those who confidently rest in the reality of the resurrection yearn and desire to live a holy life, a life dedicated to obeying God's every command. Do you know the risen Savior? Do you love the risen Savior? Has your knowledge and love of the Lord Jesus changed your life? 
Do you love the risen Savior as Mary Magdalene loved him in our gospel reading in John chapter 20? Deep, extravagant, overflowing love. Are you so completely in love with him that he is your everything, your supreme desire, your hope, your joy, far transcending the fleeting joys of this earth? Do you realize that apart from Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, you are under God's wrath and separated from him? Have you cried out to God and told him that you believe he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross and rise from the dead for you? Have you repented of your sins that you might enter into the possession of eternal life through Jesus Christ? Some people say, Well, if Jesus came and appeared to me in person like he did to the disciples, then I would believe. No, you wouldn't. If you won't believe the facts of the resurrection as presented in the scriptures, you will never believe. If you say that you believe in the certainty of the resurrection, are you living according to the words of our epistle reading in Colossians chapter 3? Are you seeking the things above? Are you setting your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth? In the last book of the Chronicles of Narnia, author C.S. Lewis beautifully captures in story form the glorious essence of our final resurrection reality. After Peter, Edmund, and Lucy complete their adventures in Narnia, Aslan turns to the children and says, You do not yet look so happy as I mean you to be. Lucy says, We're so afraid of being sent away, Aslan, and you have sent us back into our own world so often. No fear of that, says Aslan. Have you not guessed? Their hearts leaped up and a wild hope rose within them. There was a real railway accident, said Aslan softly. Your father and mother and all of you are, as you used to call it in the Shadowlands, dead. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. O beloved ones, trust in the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lean hard into its reality. Give the Lord Jesus your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and live in the good of his resurrection. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory both now and forevermore. Amen. You are Lord, almighty, 
You've been listening to the program Exaltation. I'm Father David Masterson with Godet Ministries. You may reach us on the web at godetministries.org. That's G-A-U-D-E-T-E ministries.org. This gospel outreach is entirely listener-supported. Please help us proclaim the gospel on the radio to a needy world. You may donate online at our website. Your gift, large or small, is gratefully appreciated. Until next time, may God richly bless you with this word of encouragement from the prophet Isaiah. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not faint.